Dr. James Houston is with us today. He was born in 1922 in Spain, son of missionary parents. And uh, I'm told that the first class in this college was just one month before he was born. So this college and Dr. Houston are the same age. He'll be 95 the end of this month. As a small boy, he had various illnesses, almost died of diphtheria once. So at the age of eight, he and his uh, parents moved back, or moved to Scotland, and uh, he was able to catch up in his, in his studies, even though he was ill and was rather marginalized, made fun of by other people. He understood from a young age and felt very much a kinship with the prophet Jeremiah having a sensitive spirit to the needs of others. And that has simply grown over the years. Eventually, he received his uh, DPhil at Oxford University in geography, and also majoring in the history of ideas. While he was at Oxford, he was a, a lecturer and a, a I'm not sure if you were a professor there or not. You were a lecturer uh, from 1947 to 1971. Uh, but the feature at, of Oxford education is the, the lectures in the classroom are optional, but the tutorials one-on-one -on -one with the uh, lecturer or teacher are mandatory. So you would meet one-on-one -on -one with the uh, your teacher, professor, and read a paper, chat. And Dr. Houston took advantage of these. He spent 15 to 20 hours a week in tutorial sessions and um, was able to hear the hearts of many, many students. And he's been doing that ever since. Um, not just at Oxford for those uh, 24 years, but um, he was a friend of uh, J.I. Packer. And I'd like to read something that J.I. Packer, how he remembers uh, Dr. Houston during his student days at Oxford. He was quick and intuitive, with startling flashes of brilliance, warm-hearted and energetic, with a gift of instant friendship and a strong instinct for pastoral care, and tireless as a personal evangelist seeking to win souls. So right there in, in the University of Oxford, uh, post-war years, and um, during that time there, um, he uh, became a, was part of a circle of friends that met um, in the apartment that you and, and Professor Zernoff kept, is that correct? Uh, about, uh, for about six years, met with a circle of friends, well-known persons, the most well-known being C.S. Lewis, and they would read papers and discuss and chat. Was it once a month? Was it once a, once a month you did that? Uh, no, uh, yes, we did it once a month. Yes. Once a month for six years. And so, although uh, Jim would not call himself uh, a close friend of Lewis, yet he was able to uh, get to know him um, as much as Lewis wanted himself to be known. But um, he didn't. He was a very... Uh, 
uh, actually shy about his own life. But um, with that, uh, when Lewis went to Cambridge and Dr. Houston got married and so on, um, he received a call uh, to come to Canada to start a college for the uh, education of people in their professional careers to be more strongly grounded in their walk with God in the scriptures and, and in thinking hard about the Christian life. And that eventually became uh, what's known as Regent College, um, <clears throat> which uh, uh, met on the, affiliated with the University of British Columbia, a unique arrangement actually in the world. And so being a, a Christian uh, school of graduate studies on a secular campus, uh, that, that was a great privilege which um, has continued to this day. He also founded in 1976 with uh, a friend of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. in order there to, again, train um, uh, people who were high up uh, doing their jobs in government and various other places to learn. And if you want to hear some of Dr. Houston's lectures that he gave there, there are about 60 or so online. Just go to cslewisinstitute.org and uh, look for uh, James Houston. And uh, there are free downloads. You can listen to these messages starting way back in 1979 or so, even up until fairly recent, on all subjects related to Christian formation, uh, the history of spirituality, and uh, very, very helpful I found them to be. He was professor um, of um, spiritual theology at Regent for a number of years. Uh, and, and so I'm not sure when you uh, finished there as a full-time professor, but uh, I met you back, I think it was 1988, when I went to Regent for one one semester, I flew from Calgary every day to Vancouver, met with you, and we, you developed a course for me and I went to chapel, but I'll never forget how you graciously drove me back to the Vancouver airport in your car, and we would have a little chat, and I would jump on the plane, come back to Didsbury and teach. I was teaching in the college. So one day a week for 13 weeks, I was able to meet with you and uh, get the THM there at the same time. So, with that, uh, one more thing. There is a class that will be taught in FH 302 tomorrow morning at 8.30. Now, it's the Christian formation class that meets once a week. It will be captured, though. Dr. Houston will be giving an address on childhood and spirituality. And uh, the class and myself would like to invite anyone that would like to come you're welcome to come to that room tomorrow morning at 8.30 and um, just be a part of, of that. So that's FH302. And um, if there's not enough seats, um, you can, uh, we can line the walls. That'd be just fine. Um, Dr. Houston has asked me to read the scripture and then 
After that, I'll have him come up and we'll pray. First Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Well, it, it should be tabernacle. The temple hadn't been built yet with this version. I'll continue. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again, the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Hineni, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls out to you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Listen, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord,
and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Dr. Houston, would you please come now and I'll pray for you. Father, we pray that you would grant your uh, grace to Dr. Houston. Thank you that you have sent him here. Speak, Lord, for we want to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, dear friends, it's a great privilege for me to be with you today. We've just been singing of how we can have bad days and good days. And our institutions can also have bad times and good times. But you're in a good time. You've got a wonderful new president, not new now because he's been here some years, but uh, it's amazing what the leadership is now doing for you and you can rejoice. And so what I'm going to give you this morning is, um, is a prayer which I've never delivered before, but it's for you this morning. But at the same time, I have to remind your beloved uh, Dean that he's got lots of files. And I suspect he drew out the wrong file this morning, thinking this is uh, uh, an obituary but I'm still alive. <laughs> so <laughs> it's for another time, uh, Richie, that we have this, uh, this uh, homage that you give me with such, uh, uh, such kindness. So bless you. But the, the more I meditate and study the prayer of Samuel in its context and in its content, the more impossible I'm able to describe it. Instead, I have to live it. You have to live it. For it's like an ancient tapestry or carpet with intricate designs and symbols so interwoven that you just have to rest on it and lie on it. You can't explain it. It's too dense. Firstly, because it's very ancient. It's probably recorded um, 1,000 years BC. Well, 3,000 years is a long time for us to link up with Samuel. And various editors have added to it, as with so many ancient texts, and secondly, its symbolism is taken up to inspire later readers, as clearly Hannah's prayer of her destitution, and then her composite psalm of gratitude, was then quoted in Elizabeth's song in her barrenness, and echoed again by Mary in her celebration of the incarnation whose womb was miraculously touched by the Holy Spirit to birth the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
And thirdly, the dignity of Samuel as the last of the judges in Israel, but he's also the first of the prophets. He's a unique successor of Moses, which even Joshua never attained, for he was not appointed either a judge or a prophet in the apparent collapse of Israel as God's covenant people. Now today, as we read in Aslan's uh, volume 15, The Last Battle, there's a rumor that Aslan is dead. That's the rumor of our secularism. We're living in bad times. Bad times like Samuel himself experienced. But God is still alive. He's with us as we've been singing. It's a common complaint of all Christians. I don't know how to pray. Tragically, I've heard that complaint not only from students, but even from seminary professors. I do not have a prayer life. And uh, I could spend all this and many sessions as I've recorded 16 hours of teaching on what are the obstacles for us to have a life of prayer. And so one of my admonitions has been, stop reading so many books on prayer. <laughs> this seems rather shocking. But you see, what happens is that when you read books on prayer uh, and the confessions of others from the early fathers to John Calvin, uh, then you compare yourself with them. And I just have to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not John Calvin. I'm not Augustine. I'm none of the greats. And so we can get paralyzed by comparison. And so the first thing that I had to do as a youth was not to compare myself with my father, who as a man of faith, as a faith missionary, sometimes spent all night in prayer. I couldn't compete with dad. So his prayer life paralyzed my prayer life. And I'm sure that many of you who have godly parents have somehow done the same with you. I can't compete with them. So what do you do? Well, your first prayer is, Lord, I can't pray. That's the first prayer. But that's a prayer. And then you begin to realize that your prayer life is like your fingerprints. It's you. It's nobody else's. And so I can only say it was God's Spirit that inspired me as a youth to start saying, oh, well, prayer life is simply friendship with God. And when you have friendship with somebody and you hold their hands because you love each other so much, you don't need to say words. And so some of our finest prayer is unspoken. It just comes from the heart. That's all. 
Now, this is what Hannah was doing. She was praying from her heart. And uh, she was saying, you know, I'm barren. Now, it was a terrible affliction for a woman in the ancient world to be barren. It was, the, it was like saying, you're not a woman. And so the disgrace and the shame that we find in Hannah was overwhelming. There was no worse calamity that could befall one. But you see, we're all barren spiritually without the touch of God's Spirit in our lives. Our barrenness is our way of life so often. And what made it worse was that although she had a generous-minded husband who thought little of her condition, so in that sense, he was really uh, not really uh, intuitive to understand what she was going through. Because he came from a wealthy background, and he already had another wife, Penina, who had five children. Two of them were sons, so he was okay. He had the children that he needed. And of course, as so often happens, Penina taunted Hannah all the time. And so Hannah must have felt so utterly alone in that family. She belonged to it but she might as well have been a Martin out in outer space as far as having connections. And sometimes we feel that we're so alone, even in the midst of a family that love us so much because they can't enter into our inmost thinking and we're depressed and we feel so, oh, so alone. And that was the situation of Hannah. But I want to comfort you if you are very lonely this morning that loneliness is space that you can give to God. And great loneliness is great space for his presence. But comforted. And so she finds that in her meditation on the presence of God in the midst of all of this, her prayer becomes a psalm. A psalm that's shaped around her grief. It was a psalm that was to frame the prayer of Elizabeth. It was a psalm that was echoed by Mary in the Magnificat. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Yet Eli, the priest, who was an expert about worship, he was a pro about it all, but he was clueless about what was happening in this situation. In fact, it's so insensitive that he thought she was drunk. It was like at Pentecost, when they were all speaking in their own tongues, that the crowd thought, that this multitude at Pentecost were drunk because they didn't know the work of the Spirit. And so it was that uh, 
Hannah was totally misunderstood. But she was praying silently. Only her lips were quivering. But those quivering lips were pouring out her soul before the Lord. And then at last he understood. And she went home in peace. You see, deep, deep down in our souls, we need someone to understand us. People are driven to suicide because they don't believe anyone understands them. So she went home in peace. And immediately in the context of worship with Elkanah the next day, she became pregnant and delivered a firstborn son. I've had the privilege in recent years of praying with some of our students or student wives who just long for a child and they haven't had them. And you know what often happens is that you give them a word of the Lord. The Lord told you to say that to them. And so I said to one young couple, I said, you know, as long as you live in Elgin in the north of Scotland with your uh, father and mother, in her case, that were dysfunctional, always fighting with each other, as long as you live in that environment, you'll never have a child. You have to go to a safe place. So she came to a safe place, Vancouver. <laughs> and there she had a child. And I could tell you lots of other stories of how God changes our life when he gives us that peace that passeth understanding. Well, the next day after knowing that she was pregnant, Hannah vowed to God that she would lend him to the Lord for the rest of his life. And lending to the Lord is not just lending, it's giving, 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 giving. All that you are, all that you have, you give to the Lord. And so she gave Samuel back to the Lord. You would think that having longed for a child so long, she was like Ruth. Ruth had a child. And can you imagine ever giving your only child to your mother-in-law? You think of all the music hall jokes about mother-in-laws. And that's what Ruth did. In her largesse, the Lord has given me, and I will pass it on. And so one of the things that we can know is that our generosity always arises from the generosity of God. It's his generosity to us that enables us to be a giver. So that's the first background to our um, prayer this morning. So prayer then is expressive of a humble heart. It's an oxymoron to pray in pride. You can't pray when you're proud. You think of the story that Jesus tells about the Pharisee who said, I thank God I'm not as other men are. Well, the, the result of that is that you're just find it's impossible. Because who it is that you're praying to is the humble God. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Often the taxi driver, when I tell him, you know, I'm just uh, almost now 95 next week, and they say, you must be joking. Well, I say, it's a bit of Clinique that helps because I don't have a beard, and so I can rub it on for 30 years and I have a baby face. That's what, <laughs> that's what Clinique does. But I tell them that the other side of the, of the story is that uh, you, uh, you embrace humility. Oh, oh, that's very interesting, say, the, uh, these Sikh drivers that we have in Vancouver. Well, what do you mean by that? Oh, I said, uh, and of course they don't know I'm quoting Augustine and saying this, that uh, humility is freedom from self-consciousness. And if you're free from self-consciousness because you're filled with the consciousness of the Lord and his presence in your life, you don't have heart attacks. You don't get cancer because you don't have stress. So, stress, stress is caused by an overwhelming self-consciousness that I have to do it all. And uh, as your president knows so brilliantly in his background, uh, it's micromanagement that you never delegate to others that causes an awful lot of stress and will kill people who are micromanagers. So don't be a micromanager when you go into business. Same thing. Well, this is what, uh, what you find. And then the last thing I want to say is prayer is expressively countercultural. It goes contrary to all that's happening in the culture around you. And what you have to be today is countercultural at a level that we've never had in the whole evolution of man. And that is the threat of artificial intelligence, of robotic man taking over our humanity. It's frightening. And so never could we ever consider how important it is for us uh, to be totally countercultural. That's why there's so much uh, upheaval in the life of the church because the, the old institutional life of the church is disappearing. And you young people are now moving into a new sphere altogether because for you, your feelings matter more than your mind. Well, now that could be dangerous because you could be mindless. And that doesn't help. But this balance of being intelligent and yet at the same time having a depth of feeling, which is what your music throbs with and releases the feelings within you, it means that your whole being is for God. So the depth of your emotions as the depth of your thought, as the depth of your relationships, are all his. So speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Amen.
Thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are a generous speaker. And I pray, Lord, help, <clears throat> help us to be still and let you speak to us, not to be afraid, especially to address those deepest needs that we feel. Lord, we're thankful that we can have a relationship with you that is unique. And so help us, Lord, to give you space so that the emptiness that we feel, we will not run away, but we will call upon you. Help us these days to receive from you in Jesus' name, amen.